Hello, I'm April Jones, and we at Jones Law Firm care about you, your family, and your well-being. That's why we've put together this informative webinar series to answer your questions about life, about the law, about your family. So thank you for joining us, and let's get started. Myth or truth? I am stuck with my court orders. And that is a myth. Uh, so there are a wide variety of orders that a court can issue in a divorce or a parental responsibilities case. Almost any order can be revisited by the court with the right motion under the right circumstances. There are only a few limits to being able to ask the court to issue new orders, uh, and those are usually because the court just issued orders and a parent is now filing a second motion when they just lost a motion. And there can be a two-year bar to modify parenting time if you just had a motion and you failed. Uh, and even that has some exceptions. So generally, if you have court orders, you there is usually a path for you to ask the court to revisit them uh, and to change them. With child support, you're gonna have to demonstrate a 10% change, either up or down, in the child support payment for that motion to move forward. And the two-year bar is when you are trying to change the person with whom the child has resided the majority of the time and you already brought that same motion in the last two years. So see an attorney and find out the particulars of your case, but you can definitely uh, file to modify motions in court orders in most cases. April, I have a myth buster for you. My spouse cheated on me, so that means the divorce will be in my favor. Mm, not true. Colorado is a no-fault state, so you can get divorced because of, for no reason, except you do have to articulate that you have irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences is it, um, period. The fact that the spouse has cheated on you will not let you um, have an advantage in the divorce. Now, because Colorado is an equity state, and not a community property state, that means the court can do what's fair. Fairness tends to look like half, it tends to look like community property, and again, it's a no-fault state, and whether or not your ex has cheated on you is generally irrelevant, though it can be very painful and hard to move forward, and we get that, which is why we really have to work with our clients sometimes in that situation so that we can still put the arguments forward that can get you what you want. Now, where it can come in is if it's not fair, for example, for the other side to have spent marital money to get an apartment for this uh, the person they had the affair with, or they spent a lot of money traveling with the person they had an affair with. And that's because you would argue that it's not fair to use marital money for a non-marital purpose. So it's not the fact of the affair itself that gets that in, it's because you used non-marital funds, you use marital funds for a non-marital purpose. Another time that existence of an affair could come in is if the person that you're having the affair with is inappropriate to be around your child. So let's just say for this example, just to make it real clear, if they're a drug addict or a pedophile or an abuser and they should not be around your children, then the existence of this person and the affair can come in because we're talking about it from the context of the best interest of the children and it's not in the children's best interest 
to have this person who's around and yes, they're around because the person, they're having an affair with them and they're with them all the time, et cetera. So it cannot come in for itself, but it can potentially come in if it affects another area of law. My retirement account is not a marital asset. I earn that, it's my own money. True or false, David? And that is false, but there are some exceptions. Generally, any asset that is acquired during the marriage, including a retirement account, is gonna be a marital asset, but let me give you the exception. Let's say you've been working at your job for 20 years, but you've only been married for 10 years. Those first 10 years of contributions before you got married are a separate marital asset, and you'll wanna get a statement from the retirement fund to show what the balance was before you got married. Any growth on that during the marriage is a marital asset. So if you had $100,000 in your retirement and you got married and then you never put a penny in but it grew over your marriage, that growth is divisible, but not the original money. So in, in summary, a retirement account, everything you put in and all the growth on it during the marriage is gonna be a marital asset subject to division. Separate property remains a separate property of the acquiring spouse if he hadn't commingled it, but the increase in value would be marital. Can be complicated. See an attorney. We can get it figured out. We can explain it to you and get you what you need. April, myth or truth? It's guaranteed that the woman in the marriage will get alimony. Myth. Longstanding myth. First of all, there's almost nothing that's guaranteed when it comes to alimony, except for uh, if you have an imbalance, an alimony will likely be paid. If there is a, alimony is designed to even out the playing field with respect to marital, marital income. And for the most part, you're looking at, a, it's a formula. So when you're, just to make it simple, 40% of the combined gross income is typically what is available for alimony. And if you already make some of that money, let's say you make $1,000 and 40% of the combined gross income is $4,000, then you have $3,000 available to be paid in alimony if you show a need for it. And then there's a deduction for taxes, a 20 or 25% uh, difference because the uh, receiver now pays taxes after the 2019 tax law and not the pay or. So the pay or because he's, he or she is not having to, um, is now having to pay taxes, the 40% is reduced by 20 or 25% depending on your income bracket. And that's what alimony, that's how you calculate alimony. Whether or not you get the amount of money available for alimony depends on the factors in the statute, length of the marriage, health of the parties, the ability of one party to meet their needs and the needs of the other party, lifestyle of the marriage. So there are a lot of factors that go into whether or not the court will award maintenance, but a large factor is that 40% um, of the gross combined income. And as you can see, I did not mention gender because that's not one of the factors. David, myth or truth? If I get an inheritance, 
Is the inheritance off limit in the divorce? So there's myth and truth in that. It is true that if you get an inheritance during your marriage, it is separate property and it is not marital property. Where people get into trouble is when they take that inheritance and put it into their marital checking account or they buy a home with it and put their spouse on the title. They have now taken that inheritance and made it a gift to the marriage. So our caution to clients who are gonna receive an inheritance while they're married, if they wanna keep that as separate property, is to keep it in a separate account, not mingle it with marital funds, and not use it to make purchases for the marriage. The minute you start spending that money on the marriage, it be, that amount you spent becomes a marital asset and a gift to the marriage. And then we're stuck with trying to make an equity argument because there's language that if you depleted um, your separate property for marital purposes, you can ask the court to give you an offset of that. But that's an equity argument. That I always liken that to asking the court for a cookie. Somebody, you ask somebody for a cookie, they could say, oh, you're so cute, here's a cookie. They could say, did you eat your lunch? You can't have a cookie. They could say, have a carrot. So you don't want to be in the position of making an equity argument when you can do what David's just suggested and keep your money separate. And one more example I think is important is that a lot of people in the inheritance, rather than get money, they get property. They get their grandfather's hot rod or a tractor or jewelry. And as long as you keep that in your name and not in and don't add your spouse to the title, you're going to be able to keep that inherited piece of property as separate property. Uh, April, myth or truth? Alimony is always permanent. Myth. Of course, the word always probably gave that away, but that's a myth. It can be permanent. It cannot be permanent. So with respect to alimony, there's contractual and non-contractual alimony. So contractual alimony is when two people get into a contract about what alimony is going to be and they sign an agreement, have it filed with the court, it's made an order of the court. The court does not order contractual alimony. The court just orders alimony for a period of time, and then you can modify it in, under certain circumstances. But let's talk about contractual alimony for a moment. So it's essentially signing a contract that I'll pay you $3,000 a month for 10 years. And it's non-modifiable when it's a contract like that. So if you get into an accident and you're the payor and you can never work again and it's been two years and you still have all these years left, you still owe the money in a contract situation. Or you, your investments blow up and your company blows up and you're making you know, a ton more money like you had always planned during the marriage, your alimony will still not change because you signed a contract. So that's essentially what contractual maintenance is. It freezes the alimony at a certain amount for a certain number of years. Uh, Non-contractual maintenance is an award of maintenance for a period of time and or it could be for an undetermined period of time. You would just have to pay that maintenance and then you've got to go back to court to ask the court to modify it. So if there's a substantial and continuing change such as the same scenario where somebody's business has taken off, you guys had always been planning on that forever, and now they're making so much more money, um, or 
if they get injured and they can't make money. So then you can go back to court and ask for money, um, ask for a modification of alimony. So that is um, a, just a couple of examples of how that varies. There's also the scenario when people retire. And so now there's not an income coming in other than a, a modest income. And that's a reason to modify alimony so long as it's non-contractual. Getting divorced is quick and like in the movies. You serve your spouse a packet of papers, they sign and you're done. Myth or truth? And that is a myth. So divorce is a manageable process, but it is certainly a process. And if you are served with divorce papers, the case is just beginning. What will happen after that is the court will set a series of appearances with the court and give each of the parties uh, some assignments where they have to provide documentation to each other. So the court will set you a status conference for you to come to court and find out what your responsibilities are. They'll ask the parties to exchange financial documents and make full disclosures to each other. The court will order the parties to go to mediation to try to settle it. If you settle at mediation, you may be able to come close to the end of your case through mediation. Uh, if you don't settle at mediation, you'll go back to court, tell the judge that, and the judge will set a hearing and both parties will then prepare to put on a hearing with evidence and witnesses if necessary to argue their case. If you're in a divorce case with children, you're really asking the court to enter two sets of orders. One is a separation agreement to resolve all the issues with property and debt, and the other is a parenting plan, which is a plan that the parents will follow to co-parent the children for the rest of the childhood until the children each reach the age of 19. Uh, all that to say, Divorce isn't quick. In Colorado, the very fastest by law that a court can divorce you is 91 days after you file. And that's extremely rare that your divorce actually is granted you know, on the 92nd or 93rd day because of the requirements for disclosures and mediation and for the parties to, to, to reach an agreement or, or litigate it with the judge. April, myth or truth? My spouse is the one asking for the divorce, so he will have to pay all of my attorney's fees. That is a myth. It does not matter who asks for the divorce in Colorado. Colorado is a no-fault state. Either party can ask for a divorce, and that does not affect the case. It does not affect who pays attorney's fees, who pays alimony, who pays... Um, how property is divided. It's either party's right to file for a divorce in Colorado. April, I'm sorry, I realized I jumped two questions ahead with that one. <laughs> uh, so if you want to go back to 22. If you do not have an attorney in court, the judge will help you. Myth or truth, David? You know, there's a little myth and a little truth in that. Uh, if you don't have an attorney, the judge is certainly not your attorney. The judge will not give you legal advice. The judge uh, will do nothing in, in that way related to your case. However, I think as attorneys, we've been in court enough with going against parties that don't have a, a lawyer to know that the judge will help people understand the process and the requirements that they're facing, but in no way give them advice. So the court, the judge isn't going to tell you whether it's a good idea or a bad idea to accept the settlement offer from your future ex-spouse. 
but the judge will help you understand your responsibilities in the case, what your deadlines are, and to some degree, uh, uh, it, well, I, and that's about it, really. Uh, April, you've been separated for a certain amount of time. I'm sorry, the question is, is it true that you have to be separated for some amount of time before you can file for divorce? That is a myth. In Colorado, you do not need to be separated for any amount of time before filing for divorce. In other states, they have rules like that. So if you're talking to your neighbor, which I call neighbor law, if you're talking to your neighbor from out of state, they may have a, a waiting requirement. Colorado, um, you do not have to be separated for an amount of time. You have to reside in the, in the state of Colorado uh, for 180 days prior to the filing, but you do not have to be separated. Many people file for divorce living in the same home together. The children will automatically be placed with the mother. Truth or false, David? And that is false. Uh, there are a lot of words in the statutes for divorce in Colorado, but gender does not come up. Uh, and that is because the court will not make a decision regarding children based on gender or based on uh, one person being a father or a mother. Uh, it's not in statute that parents are 50-50, but it is in statute that the court believes it's in the best interest of the child to have a balanced relationship with both parents. And unless either parent is a, in some way a threat to the health, safety, and welfare of the child, the court's gonna presume that it's in the child's best interest to have a balanced relationship with both parents. And we get this a lot from both men and women who come in to consult with us, who assume that women have a leg up on them in the proceedings or that they'll have a leg up on the, their husband in the proceedings, and that's really not true. And it's really not best for the children either, which is why Colorado has, has moved in that direction to start with the presumption that both parents are fit, that the child would benefit from a relationship with both parents. And then it's, the burden is on either parent to convince the judge that it's not in the child's best interest to be on an equal parenting time. April, uh, myth or truth? If your spouse committed adultery, they definitely have to pay alimony. Myth. If your spouse committed adultery is not a factor in whether or not they have to pay alimony, alimony has a series of factors. If your spouse committed adultery and they, um, that's not one of the factors in determining whether or not you have to pay alimony. And that's right. And if I could just add to that, the, if, when parties tell the court that their marriage is broken, the court almost never asks why. They are gonna accept the parties telling them that it's broken. And so I, in my years of practice, I've never actually had to persuade a judge that the marriage was broken because self-declaring it is enough for the judge. There have been a couple of occasions when one party does not want to get a divorce and they've told the court that it's their differences are reconcilable, although it's kind of inherent that if one person says they're, you can't reconcile, you can't reconcile because you need two people to reconcile. Uh, in those instances, I've seen the court allow parties time to attempt to reconcile. 
and they might put the case on pause or continue the case for several months and give parties a chance to reconcile. And I've seen cases reconcile in that situation. You know, they call, they ask to dismiss the case, which we're always happy to do. Once you file for divorce, you cannot stop the divorce from proceeding. Myth or fact, David? That is a myth, and I think April just touched on it, but I'll elaborate a little more. And, we, and this happens to us a couple times a year. We'll be hired by somebody, we'll start the divorce process, we'll get the petition filed, we'll serve the other party, and then they, they decide to work it out and try to reconcile. And the parties can withdraw their petition for divorce at any time during the proceedings up until the day of the final hearing if they want. Uh, a court will not divorce you if you if both parties do not want to be divorced. So, and that happens. People think they're on the verge of the end of their relationship and filing for divorce gives them pause and they decide to try to work it out and and that's okay. And and so uh and we've had several clients uh just in the last year who who have decided to try one more time and we've withdrawn their petition and and they can always file again in the future if it doesn't work out, but uh, the court is certainly not going to discourage any couple from trying to work it out and stay together. April, I, I, go ahead. Uh, you go, David. I was just going to go to the next question. So if you have something to add to that, I would. Thank you for joining us for this webinar. If you or someone you know would benefit from watching a recording of this webinar or any of our other webinars, they can be found at denverdivorceattorneys.com. Thank you and keep a lookout for future live webinars and I hope to see you again.